Transportation Matters, the CEO podcast of Daimler Trucks and Buses. Welcome to a new episode of Transportation Matters. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Martin Daum. I'm the CEO of Daimler Truck AG. In today's episode, we want to discuss Europe's road to sustainable transportation because we are now entering a crucial stretch of this road. To make zero-emission transportation a success, Europe now needs to do a few things right. These things may not be easy, and they may even be unpopular, but they are still necessary. Europe will have to make transportation more expensive, and as a consequence, consumer goods might become slightly more expensive as well. I'm well aware that this is an inconvenient truth and a burden for many people, but this is a price we all need to pay for a better, more sustainable world. We will discuss all that today with Sigrid de Vries. She is the Director General of the European Automobile Manufacturers Association and knows Europe's transformation agenda inside out. Sigrid, welcome to our show. Glad to have you with us today. Hello, and thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Sigrid, I know in your earlier career you worked as a journalist. If you were to write an article today about Europe's progress towards zero emission transportation, what would be the headline? I would say that policy ambitions, vehicle targets, must now really be backed up by credible conditions for implementation. We've come a long way in Europe and manufacturers like yourself are ready. All efforts must now focus on rolling out, delivering results in real time and in real life. And if you have to phrase that now into one headline? It's the implementation, stupid. Uh, okay, good. To stop talking, start acting or something like exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. Prior, I mean, you had a really wonderful career for such a format with you today because you were not only a journalist, you were on the trucking side of the industry as well. What comes to your mind if you drive these days on a highway and see a truck? That they, you know, deliver the goods to our grocery stores or the, the parcels that we get on our doorsteps. I think it's often overlooked that transport and mobility is so important. It's really the lifeblood of our society and economies. And we, we really need to keep that in mind when also regulating this sector. Because if we regulate it, so it comes to a standstill, our industry basically, our entire life or society would come to a standstill. Yeah, and we've seen that pretty recently with the COVID pandemic, where lots of what we took for granted came to a standstill. And I think then immediately people realized, oh, yeah, transport, mobility is really important. And uh, we need to keep that uh, up and running cross-border and, uh, and on a daily basis. So that was a bit of a wake-up call, perhaps, but it's also easily forgotten again. No, absolutely. But on the other side, we are committed as an industry to that road to sustainable transportation. I know you took the job of the Automotive Manufacturers Association because we are committed, yeah, because you are committed as well and you want to push that cause forward. But now the big question is, what is necessary to act? You know, you, when I had in previous speeches, I always said it has three elements. We need vehicles, we need cost parity, and we need infrastructure. If we talk about vehicles, you know, Mercedes just launched 
these days our long-haul actors. When it comes to hydrogen, we, we did a more than 1,000-kilometer run through Germany with a fuel cell truck. I know a lot of our competitors have similar programs in store. I would say zero-emission vehicles are not the bottleneck of the transformation. What do you hear from Brussels, from the policymakers and the NGO when it comes to that topic? Do they agree with us or would you give us as an industry a further nudge to do more? I think they still have quite a bit of trouble understanding indeed that zero emission vehicles are not the bottleneck in this transformation. They keep falling back on just setting very strict targets because they think that's what will do the trick. You set strict targets so you take care of the supply side of things and then the rest will follow. And of course, as we're looking at a business-to-business market here, that's not the case. You have to ensure a business case. So it's very difficult to regulate it in the right way. You need to really accommodate these enabling conditions to be in place and to get your customers to uh, buy into all of this as well. So the business case is important and that's not how policymakers tend to think. I think we're getting there, we're making progress, but it's really a difficult story to get across. Do you have the feeling that we do less, too less on public relations or to make it aware? I mean, this podcast is part of it. You know, we do a lot, but how can we get that message out more? We just basically need to continue, all of us and everybody also working your business here in my environment, to be ambassadors for this message. Because we have to repeat it and explain it and not tire of explaining it. And it's, it's, it's a really good story to tell because mobility is important, transport is important. It keeps our economies and society running. So we have to get this right. If we don't get it right, then the risk is that we do no longer have a thriving industry in Europe and we don't meet our climate targets as well. And, and that would be the worst case scenario. I mean, we, we do a lot when it comes to the product side. We invest billions. Yeah, We try to show that to the public, and we means always the entire trucking industry, not just Daimler trucks, but certainly as a large player in this industry, we have our large share of that spending. But yet we face at the moment uh, the discussions about Euro 7, where something I never understood why regulators jump on something which anyhow gets less and less exposure on roads. Yeah, Why bring a diesel regulation for 2029 where only, I would say, a fraction of the miles driven with diesel are then still a combustion engine. What was your experience with this regulation process of Eurosep? For policymakers, uh, combating air pollution, that remains a, a crucial thing to do. It's what their voters care about. It's, it's what they believe in themselves. And then their first response is, okay, let's regulate further. And I think what we need to tell them, and again, this is about telling that story, explaining it based on facts, but also giving examples, that they need to solve a problem with the right tool. And in this case, coming with a new Euro 7 regulation may not be the best tool to achieve that objective. Euro 7 is already the seventh round of emission reduction legislation. A quicker way to solve the issue of air pollution would be to really target getting all the vehicles off the roads and then in combination with the electrification indeed that will uh, make a, a way larger impact compared to again regulating and, and coming with stricter targets for the latest generations of vehicles. Before continuing with the story of transformation, potentially another more personal question. 
Some people might call you a lobbyist, yeah, and that is not necessarily a job which has a high image, but yet you you play an, in my opinion, absolutely important role in the policy process. How would you answer people who would call you negatively a lobbyist? When I was at kindergarten, I did not wake up one morning and decide, okay, later when I'm big, I'll be a lobbyist. I grew into that. Indeed, from training as a journalist, working as a journalist, and then moving on to communications and now representing a, a large industry. So indeed, in short, uh, being a lobbyist. But I think lobbying is, is not a negative thing because we need to help policymakers to come to informed decisions. And for that, they need access to good information. And that's what we do as a trade association. We provide information, a lot of technical expertise through our member companies that come together in working groups. So we do a lot of explanation. And I think many people also understand that that is a good thing to do. And without it, we would be worse off. Of course, sometimes it's tough because they would tell me, how can you tell your children? I have two sons, 25 and 28 year old. How can you defend this? And I say, well, this is a very, very relevant industry for Europe. Lots of highly skilled, good paying jobs, lots of innovation, lots of innovation and future ahead for everyone too. We need to compete. We need to earn our livings. You need to do that in a sensible way, in a sustainable way. And that's what we're working on. And that's also where I can make a little difference as head of a trade association. And I know working together with you that you're really working in both directions. Yeah, You are as much explaining the political process and the political pressures to us in the industry as you explain the industry position to the politicians. So you are rather a mediator between the two than just a paid loudspeaker or so, much, much more. And I and I know how difficult it is sometimes to get highly diverse industry opinions under one common umbrella that is on the other side easy to tell someone else because it makes sense. So really, thank you for that. It's It's correct. It's about a dialogue. And to have a dialogue, you need to be in conversation and you need to facilitate mutual understanding. It can indeed, as you say, not be a loudspeaker. That would not work at all. We have to understand each other and then together come to a better result. When we would look at the both sides of policymaking on the one side and industry on the other side, and we go back to the transformation topic and have more sustainable vehicles on the road, what would you consider on the politics side the biggest lack of understanding? And what would you consider on the industry side the biggest lack of understanding? Where have you put the most time or influence in it? On the policymaker side, I think it's really the fact that we need to manage a very complex transformation and transition. So you indeed need to make sure that you give the right triggers for vehicle technology, but that's by far not it. You need to work on the charging and refilling infrastructure. You need to make sure there is a business case for those that make use of transportation and that operate the, the trucks in this case. There we need to work on that. And unfortunately, although the Green Deal has that at its core. It tries to be holistic and it's a package trying to address many elements at the same time. But then you see in this legislative procedure that it's no longer synchronized, that, for example, the recharging and refilling infrastructure targets, they fall short of what is needed. You know, then reality starts to kick in and it becomes really, really difficult. On the industry side, I would say maybe it's as simple as understanding that policymakers are not engineers. And they tick in a different way. So we need to help policymakers 
delivered to their voters. And I think industry is increasingly doing that. I know you are doing that and, and the other truck commercial vehicle uh, members of ASEA too. And that's important because I think we're all walking in the same direction, which is decarbonization and environmental protection. And we, we need to walk that road together. But walking that road together means for me that ultimately it will become more expensive. There is a reason why human mankind has chosen at least for heavy goods transportation to go very early to diesel and stay there because it's the most efficient way to transport, to store energy and to transfer energy into motion of heavy loads. There is a possibility that is you tax CO2. We have the instrument in Germany and I know France will follow to have a, a CO2-based road toll, but that will make traffic more expensive. And I know that the transportation companies complain about that increase in toll. Any hope for a Europe-wide CO2-based toll system or do you see any backlashes? You're very right. It will be more expensive to achieve decarbonization. And that may well mean that also transport and mobility will become more expensive. Transition to climate neutrality will not come for free but the cost of inaction will likely even be higher. So I think, again, many people, if you ask them on an ind individual level, they do want to do something. And that is, I think, where we can find each other. Whether this can happen also at European level, I think it's difficult enough to agree at a national level and then indeed uh, harmonize that a little bit. But those price signals are very important. So even if we decide, okay, we have to compensate those that cannot pay it or pay less for it, You can help them, I think, and that would be a matter of solidarity to do that and to, again, also to make life and economy work. But the price signals must be maintained because they are a crucial element in getting this transformation going. But here we're coming to one of, in my opinion, one of the crucial points in, in transformation. Everyone wants to fight against climate change. I haven't heard from very few people only that this makes no sense and just let it roll. Yeah, so everyone wants to do something, but nobody wants to change behavior and nobody wants to pay more. We all know who should do it as long as it's not me, I sometimes say. Your impression to that? Well, indeed, as the saying goes, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die for it. And that's a little bit the situation we find ourselves in. So we have to make the case and uh, also share the burden, more or less, if not equally, then at least fairly. So I think it's really good that European vehicle manufacturers really take the lead and they invest and they go for this innovation and they, they show how it can be done. And they're global leaders. They take that responsibility and I think they can be proud of it and take credit for it. And then indeed working with others that also want to go that way and, and talking to policymakers and say, you need to enable this, you need to support us, you need to not pile regulation on regulation that makes in the end for a very inconsistent framework that will hamper our competitiveness. No, enable this transition, let's focus on that and uh, let's then make it work. Okay, but now we have the transition in products. And I would say here, I, I really believe the industry will come up and in four or five years, we have fantastic products out, which are fun to drive and which really do the job CO2-free, whether with hydrogen or with battery electric. Then on the other side, with a CO2-based toll system we have or, or any kind of CO2 pricing, we can create instruments where it pretty soon could be really cheaper to drive 
zero emission. And by the way, that's a good thing. We don't need any regulation. Then the entire industry will do it. That is the beauty about commercial vehicles. It will be more expensive, but everyone will do it. But then comes for me the third biggest part. And that, in my opinion, is a big elephant in the room to transformation. And that is the energy distribution, the charging infrastructure, or the availability of green hydrogen. Do you see enough momentum in building a comprehensive green energy infrastructure in Europe these days? I think there is momentum, but it's not enough. And again, it's difficult because this transformation needs to go quick and it will hardly ever be enough. But I think the rollout of, of a sufficiently capable grid, electricity grid, and also delivering the green energy is a crucial challenge where still a lot needs to be done. And again, that's also going to be very expensive and a lot needs public money to be invested there. But indeed, as you say, it, it would not make much sense having these great products ready and on the market, but not the electricity to charge them with or, or the grid to be ready. So I think that's a real challenge. And um, we have European elections next year, so a new European Commission starting, a new European Parliament starting. And I think their job will really be to focus on implementation and get this transformation now executed. And in what can they do there the most to change things, concretely, specifically? To put it a bit provocatively, you could say that China, for example, is clearly out to create global champions, almost whatever it takes. The US, another big region, of course, and you know it very well, they are now set with the Inflation Reduction Act to create jobs and to create uh, economic autonomy, also almost at all cost. And the EU is still, at, it wants to be a leader on sustainability, but it's still very much about let's regulate our way to achieving that goal. And I think they need to change tack. They need to really make sure that there is this business case so that all players can indeed play along and play ball, be, be on the same playing field, that there is more of a level playing field, that the, the burden is distributed at least somewhat fairly. And even if the costs go up, that there is a level play, playing field also there. So I think they can take care of supply chain insecurities. They can make these massive investments in infrastructure that we need. They can look at the energy supply and also make sure that the energy and electricity remains affordable because that's a big competitive factor, that there is market support, market take-up support, and look at the regulatory framework. Because the EU is so much about regulation, they really need to reconsider how it's structured and how it can support rather than hinder. But this is, isn't that exactly the, the problem? When it comes to lofty goals, when it comes to emotional speeches that we want to save the world, Europe is definitely the world champion and the number one. When it comes to doing, you mentioned the two big other big players, China and the US, they are really doing stuff. They don't talk so much, they do. For me, still, the unsolved problem is how can we change Europe and its economies going from talking to doing? That will remain, I think, a challenge because it's almost in the DNA of Europe and also in the setup of the European institutions and having to work with 27 member states, but indeed, they will uh, have to do more next to talking. And I think it starts with slogans, perhaps. And the last European Commission under Ursula von der Leyen came out with the Green Deal. 
And she had a whole lot of inspirational and aspirational goals coming from those. And a lot of those have now been put into uh, legislative targets. I would say let's now make time for an industry deal. So put industrial strategy firmly back on the agenda and also make sure that we stay in the race as Europe, that we can compete globally. Okay, that's still a lot of talking and now the the doing needs to to be shaped and uh, we need to get to that as well. And and we for as an industry wanted, and I know you as one of our speakers wanted, and, and so it's it's rather for me the search in our listeners as well. How can we push that in a positive way? For example, one thing I always realize is that it's like here are the policymakers, here are the people, whoever that is, and here's the industry. And if policymakers has to protect the people, we are not the problem. Yeah, we are by the way part of the people. The people work for us. The people use our products. Without our products, the people would be in a pretty bad shape. How can we reunite that, that industry is solution, not a problem? We want to work for the common good as much as a policymaker. Yeah, indeed. We're all citizens and we're also voters and policymakers also use cars and and go to the supermarket and get their groceries. So indeed, we should not pretend that we're all different and don't have anything to do with each other. But yeah, I think it is in a way easier said than done. But I think it's also time to rethink. And I think you see that already happening a little bit when you look at uh, the political climate and how the discussions go. I think many people feel a need for what you could call a, a reality check. And I think that's not to roll back on any ambition or to turn our backs on uh, decarbonization and uh, mitigating climate change and all of that, but doing it in a way where indeed people are not opposite to each other uh, or or in controversy, but working together. And on on a personal level and in everybody's business or work, uh, and then also in the the way they vote. And, And I think... We need to be optimistic about that because in the end, I think the direction of travel is is clear. And maybe the transformation, um, if you listen to academics on transformation management or transformation uh, research, they say there's usually quite a lengthy period of chaos. But at some point you find a new equilibrium and we can start managing it. And I really hope and trust and we will work together in ASEA also on that, that, that we can now enter that period. But that is in, indeed, I mean, it's an interesting one. There is, you need that phase of chaos to get the, the right solution brewing up or, or cooking or so. But isn't it chaos the biggest thing what people are afraid of? You know, because it's this uncertainty. And then always the fear of losing is bigger than the hope for a good solution. True. I think fear is a a big factor. And I think people rightly have concerns about many things because they can't really oversee it and and what will happen. There's a lot of talk today. Also, it's a real buzzword in my view about leadership. But I think being a global industry, you are all leaders and you you take your role there. The one part is easy for us to to show leadership. That is when it comes to great products. As I started, we just launched our first long-haul track that can go 500 kilometers with 40 tons, and it's really fantastic to drive. We have shown that if you have longer stretches or more unplannable road, we have a fuel cell truck that can do the job. So the industry is living up to that. We develop products. We make clear where we need infrastructure, but we are not energy producing companies. We are not energy 
distributing companies. But we can say it, and, and, and my constant speech, unfortunately, already since three years is, the time is ticking. If 2030, and by regulation, that is a decisive date, then now it's only seven years, or it's actually Christmas is around the corner. Uh, so it's, it's, it's only six years until 2030. And that is nothing for many processes. So for me, the sense of urgency, I think this must be a, a consistent message from you as well to every politician. Yeah? Time is ticking fast. Absolutely, time is really ticking fast. And there is still a lot of reservation. And because, as you said, it, it's about fear, but also simply not knowing sometimes. I mean, I talk to people on a daily basis here and they, they ask me, an electric truck, are you serious? I mean, that's the level of where we start the discussion often. So we really need to start still at, at that very ABC level. And I don't mean that at all disrespectfully. I think it's important that we can explain, yes, it may seem counterintuitive, but a truck can actually be electric. You do not need to continue using diesel. You will always still need diesel. And maybe that can be renewable diesel uh, at some point uh, because it needs to become fossil free. But as you say, if you have to start the discussion at that level of information or, or, or understanding and you only have six or seven years to go, it tells us all how, how hard we have to work and how important I think and also for industry it will be to maybe step up our efforts to really show what can be done. I mean, we don't have the charging and the refilling stations. We need to take people there and to show them how it works. Policymakers but also indeed uh, any other interested parties, city mayors, people that have a role and that also can uh, disseminate the, the message again. Because we need to really work to level up the level of understanding. And then we have to do that on a European basis. Yeah, I know a lot of populists play then that drumbeat. You know, it's just Brussels bureaucrats who make our life difficult. Let's be in our little world and everything would be great. What would be your answer to those guys? That doesn't get us anywhere. Indeed, if, if we are campaigning on, on, on a notion of where we don't want anybody telling how we should live our life, uh, then we're not talking about the real issues. We need to say, okay, where do we want to go, which is zero emission or emission neutral or whatever it, it then is, the direction of travel is clear. And then say, okay, what can I do? What can you do? Where can we find each other? And um, what's the pace? What's the timing? Who else should we involve? I hope that we, with policymakers, can find back to uh, to a discussion that is more like that, because let's be fair, industry is indeed often faced with a with a lot of uh, suspicion uh, and, and and caution. And there have been times where there was more of a natural working together, because it's often about very technical detail. Here in Brussels, the the Commission churns out pieces of text that are law, uh, text black and white on paper, but these little. Uh, lines on paper, they, they mean a, a lot for industry because you need to engineer against them. So you need to really marry uh, what's on paper, black and white, with industrial realities. And for that to happen in a, in a good way and quick and efficient and effective, uh, there needs to be better understanding and also confidence and trust. No, and, and I can really echo that. We need a European lawmaking, yeah, because you said it earlier, we compete against the US and China, both huge markets. And if I look on the truck side, the, U the US NAFTA market is about 400,000 units. Yeah, the Chinese market is more than a million. 
Yeah, the European market is 350,000. If I break that down now in 20 individual markets, every single market with its own regulation would be an absolute nightmare. It would be a nightmare. Even if, if some of the listeners might not like Europe, there is absolutely no alternative to it. I can only push that message down. Yeah, we need a European regulation. The automotive industry is really a textbook example of how the EU, so European unity, creation of the single market has really helped to get costs down and to, to drive innovation and to, to deliver wealth and prosperity. And we should not forget that side of the EU as well. It's really important and it will help us stay competitive compared to these other big blocks indeed, although the challenges are certainly there. Let's really focus on that. Thanks for your work to help to make that European a great and wealthy and great Europe. Uh, thanks everyone else listening to our podcast. If you want to hear more about the transformation of our industry, please check out earlier episodes from our podcasts. Please join us for the next episode because as a discussion of this episode, once more showed, transportation truly matters for all of us. Thanks, Secret, for joining us today. Have really a great day. Thanks, Martin. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. That was Transportation Matters, the CEO podcast of Daimler Trucks and Buses. If you enjoyed what you've heard, share this episode and subscribe to Transportation Matters on your preferred podcast platform. You can do this by tapping the follow or subscribe button right next to the podcast title.